Welcome to One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm not a Dr. Anna. I'm a mom and a therapist. And I'm a high school student and a daughter. Each week, we'll discuss relevant parenting topics. And we'll interview some fantastic guest experts. And leave you with practical tips and information. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Hello. So I'm excited for this episode. I am. I know you are. I'm just, I can't decide if this episode will like make me feel better about college and the whole application process. Yeah, it's just all of it. Or if it'll make me freak out a little bit more because now I know more information. Yeah, sometimes with you, you feel comforted when you have more information. Yeah, because then I know everything and I can like feel more in control, I guess. You can make lists. Yeah. Actually, today, we were talking about flaws in my English class. She was like, Anna, what do you think one of your flaws are? And I was like, uh, I think I can sometimes be a little bit of a perfectionist. She's like, yeah, you can. She's like, you're only doing virtual learning, and I've never actually met you, but I already know this about you. <laughs> yeah, she's like, yeah, you are, okay? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, uh, I couldn't so decide I if it's... it was like a... Yeah. I'm glad she noticed because then she like knows that I'm putting effort into it. But then she was like, definitely a flaw, honey. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Michelle McEnany. She's our guest for today. And yeah. we actually had her on one of the first episodes we ever did in season one. Mm-hmm. And she is just filled with information about students who are in the process of getting ready for college. Yeah. So she is here today to talk about topics related to applying to college, as well as just the reality of COVID, right? Because how the application process looks is a little bit different now, now that we're over a year into this. So students who are now juniors and will be entering their senior year in the fall, I feel like this episode is more for the students in that age group. Although I think there's a lot of tidbits in here for everybody. Yeah, I wonder if this will affect my Because you're the application. year after that. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'm graduating 2023. We'll see. So. We'll see. Well, stay tuned, yeah. everybody, for Michelle McEnany. She is a college admissions consultant. She is the owner of The College Spy, and we really enjoy having her here. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Tara and Anna. I was telling people in the intro that you are our first repeat guest because you were on first season and now you're back for the end of second season. I'm honored. Well, and what inspired us was the desire to focus on COVID and its impact on the college application process. We don't really know the full impact of COVID quite yet, but I really feel like with your college admissions experience and you are the owner of the college spy and I know that is a huge resource for parents and students out there. So I'm just gonna pick your brain and take advantage of your expertise today. Okay, go for it. My first question for you is to get your insight about how COVID has changed the process of how students should research potential schools they're interested in. Because I know that some of the in-person tours are less available. And I just feel like my clients and even Anna here feel very like frozen with indecision. Like, how do I move forward? How do I make decisions? 
I think that that even before COVID, that was an issue for kids in 10th and 11th grade, not really knowing how to get started, that the task of researching colleges and choosing the right colleges to put on their list is so big that it's hard to know how to get started. But the big impact with COVID has been not being able to visit. And I've been telling students for years that the college visit is really the key to choosing a college, being on campus and feeling the chemistry there and looking around and saying, is this the right place for me? Would I be happiest here? And getting the information directly from the admissions counselors and the other students that you meet on tour, the students attending the college, I mean. Um, and they don't have a chance to do that with COVID. And that is what's making the research much, much harder. So what can students do? Like if we have to go with second best where we may not be able to visit where we want. So how can we get started in just having something to inform our decision? Sure. Well, one of the silver linings with COVID is that college admissions offices have gone virtual. They're doing their recruiting virtually. Where So before there were virtual tours but nothing nearly as robust as what there is now. So you can go on a college's website and sign up for virtual events, information sessions, uh, college tours, um, panels of students that will speak to groups of prospective students and learn all about colleges that way, where you couldn't do that before. And it's a great way to gather information without having to leave your home. It's convenient. Now, have you had the opportunity to visit any schools during this past year? I have had the opportunity to visit schools and I have had um, a disappointing experience doing so in comparison to visiting in the past where I could take the college tour that parents and students would take and I could sit through the information session, take notes, ask questions, and then meet with an admissions counselor afterwards for more of my personal questions that maybe not every parent and student sitting there also with me would want to hear. And right now what's happening when you go to campus is either Everything is closed down and you can't get access to the buildings because what they're doing is having students, if the campus is open for students, they're having the students swipe their cards as they go in and out so that they, if somebody does get COVID, they can trace it and do testing, follow up. And so I, on campus, don't have a card to swipe. I'm not supposed to be there. And so really, I'd be walking around campus on, on my own, outside, not seeing a lot of students. It almost feels like summer, visiting in the summer when nobody's there. It's dead. At other campuses I've been to, there have been signs everywhere saying that visitors are not really welcome. It's usually a politer sign than that, but they don't want outsiders on campus. And so now I'm walking around campus kind of saying, is somebody going to throw me out? And that's uncomfortable. So, You're such a rebel. I know. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes in my own travels and movement, I'm like, oh, I'm passing this, this school. So, for example, I was in Salt Lake City recently, and I wanted to see uh, Westmin Westminster College, which is a liberal arts college. is not too difficult to get into, and I wanted to know more about it. And I went to campus, and I thought, they don't want me here where when I visited Rutgers, which is state school in uh, Jersey, I didn't feel that anybody was going to ask me to leave, but I certainly wasn't allowed into any buildings, even to use the restroom. So, you know, I have had families do some what's called self-guided tours. And sometimes you can get um, official self-guided 
fact or information online where they're telling you, look at this building, look at that building. And it, they're disappointing experiences. And, you know, and for families who feel comfortable traveling and they're traveling to do those self-guided tours, they're not really getting a lot of information, which is sad. I'm glad you told us that because Anna and I were talking about, gosh, by summertime, should we be planning trips to things? And so I would feel so disappointed if I had spent some of my budget on travel and things and, and I didn't feel like I had any more information or it left like a disappointing taste in Anna's mouth when it really isn't reflective of that school. It's just more reflective of the COVID life. Exactly. There are some schools that are open. The students are on campus. These are mostly the smaller schools, um, but they're, they're on campus and they're open for tours. So you can you know, go online and, and call and ask questions about what's available if I come and visit. And there are some schools that you would be able then to get a fuller experience. But even then, you know, I always tell my students, when you go to campus, go to the dining hall, eat the food, try it. Sit down, look at the tables and say, which one would I feel comfortable sitting at? Where are my people? Do I see people who I'd be friends with here? And go into the library and say, would I feel comfortable studying here? Check in with yourself as you're doing that tour. And so if you're on a campus that's closed down or partially closed down because of COVID, you can ask yourself those questions, but the answers might not be so good or so helpful in making the choice. So... Uh, it's been very difficult for juniors to um, to build their college lists up until now. And I'm hoping things get better with the pandemic and more colleges open up for college tours so they can go over the summer. Under normal circumstances, I'd say don't go in the summer or consider not going in the summer. I know that's when students and families are available to travel, but you don't get the full experience because often the campuses are very quiet. Um, but now, if they finally do open up, I'm saying go, because it might be the best you can get before you need to have your applications out in the fall. Well, because maybe there'd be at least some buildings open. Even if you didn't have the same hustle and bustle of the normal campus life, you might be able to at least see the library, the dining hall, or something like that, even if it's still a different vibe. Right. And the admissions offices do host events and tours and photo sessions throughout the summer under normal circumstances. So you'll still have that experience of meeting the tour guide and talking to the admissions counselors and listening to the presentation that they give. So, and, and that can be helpful. Um, but there wouldn't be really that hustle and bustle. Although I wonder this summer if students who haven't been able to be on campus during the year might take summer courses and it'll be busier. That's a possibility because it depends on how fast those vaccines get out. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about test scores. Yeah. Some colleges have indicated that SAT and ACT scores are now optional. However, it's been such a traditional component of an application in the past. Do you advise students to forego submitting their test scores? My recommendation is that almost every single student, there are some exceptions where I might not recommend this, but take the SAT or ACT, do their absolute best on it, study for it, and see what scores they get. Because this is my reasoning. Most colleges in the U.S. with the pandemic that have decided to go test optional, they have a choice to be test blind. And test blind means we don't want your scores. We're not interested and we're not going to evaluate them. Test optional means we'd like to see them if you have them to show us. 
So since they'd like to see them, if you could score, get a score that is in the, um, within the average of students that they accept and what those students' scores are, the test score that you get could help you get accepted. So I think students should take these tests because they might help the student get accepted to college, pretty much. Um, the other thing to note is that in the past, SAT and ACT scores have been used for uh, merit aid. And so it's not clear yet what colleges are doing now that they're not getting test scores from every single student before the pandemic. And so if you happen to apply to college that's still colleges that are still using SAT, ACT scores for merit aid, and you don't take the test and submit your scores, you might lose out on the chance of getting some aid. So the merit aid is based on your academic achievements? Yes, your academic and extracurricular achievements. Yes. So do you think an application with SAT scores or ACT scores would have a better chance of getting in than someone without them? Not necessarily. Um, I think that there are students who are applying test optional who are getting accepted to college. But I think that if a student's test scores are good enough to help them get accepted to the college, so let's say a college normally has an average SAT score that they accept of 1,200. So some students have above 1,200, some students have below 1,200. When you score 1,200, that score is going to help you get in. Because if you don't submit the score at all, they don't know what you would have done. They're just missing a data point. But if you have a data point that of a, of a score, of a test score, that is going to be helpful to you to get accepted, sure, you should turn it in. So I think students should take the test and study, and they should look up what the average test scores are of every single school that they're applying to, and then say, okay, I'm going to send my scores to these schools and not to these schools. Mm. Here it will help me, and here it won't. Well, we had Anna's, it's called an IGP meeting, Independent Graduation Plan. And her school counselor did not spend a lot of time talking about test scores. She was just kind of like, oh, Anna, you're such a good student. Why don't you plan to take an SAT or an ACT this summer or in the fall? I think she said in the fall. Mm -hmm. But she really didn't talk about test optional. She didn't. She said you might want to. She didn't even say study. Did she? She said something really casual. You might want to consider taking it or something, yeah. but it really wasn't an emphasis. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is a really high achieving student. If she's not telling Anna to take these tests, what is she saying to other kids who maybe don't have the same type of transcript? Yeah, I don't know what she's saying to other kids, but what I'm hoping from, from the students on my caseload is that they can score at at the average of the, the schools they're looking at or do that even better. And I think a lot of students have SAT, ACT score anxiety. They're just, they think I'm not going to do well enough. And many of them do well enough. You know, so, I, so the students I'm working with who are, oh, I'm not going to do that well. And, and I push them, you should take the test and you should study. When we finally get their scores back and we look at the schools they're interested in and we look at those average test scores of who they accept, what scores they're accepting, it's like, yes, yeah, so you should submit your scores. These scores are going to help you get accepted. So a score of 1,200, not everybody needs a 1,600 to go to college. You can get in with an 1,100 or a 900 even. It depends, you know, it depends on what schools you're looking at. And if it just turns out that your score is low for the school that's, schools that you're looking at, 
then you apply test optional if the school is giving you the option to do that. And I think many schools will for next year. I think they'll need to in order to get enough applications. I know that the students who are freshmen right now, so they're, they went to college in the fall of 2020, they didn't really have a traditional college experience. A lot of them weren't able to attend classes in person. Sometimes the dorms were closed. Sometimes they had to live in alternative housing, depending on what their COVID status was. When some students, and I knew this through Facebook, they had their kids defer and not go away to college for this first year because the finances of it and, of course, the experience and concern about COVID. What do you think? Like, what do you do? You think there's going to be changes in how colleges are accepting new students? Do you think there's a chance that financial aid packages could look differently moving forward? Do you mean changes in how they're accepting new students because of those deferrals? Yeah, because if somebody postponed their enrollment, some of those kids went ahead and took like community college credits and they still did online and are probably going to be able to walk in with, you know, several classes done. But there's going to be other students who just paused and they just worked for a year, did whatever. And so now they're actually freshmen coming in. Is that going to make the number of spots decline as far as who can be accepted? It seems like it would, but I think it also, it depends on the college and what their enrollment was last year. So the colleges that are the most selective in the United States, so maybe a 20% acceptance rate and below, they got lots of applications. They had, they had their pick of students, the ones that everybody's heard of and everybody wants to go to. And, um, and then we have colleges that are under enrolled. So if they're under enrolled, they may have more spaces available. So I think it depends on the school, how much the deferrals from last year are going to affect the applicants from of this year. Um, and even with financial aid, the same thing. I think it depends on the, the school and their budgets. It's very different. We have some schools in the U.S. that are, they're wealthy universities. They can accept students without the, having any regard for how much those students can pay. So they, which is called need blind. So they just, they take who they want and they give them the financial aid they need to, to come because the college has enough money. Plenty of other schools that are need aware and they use tuition and room board to help balance the budget and to pay bills and to keep running. And those schools might have a harder time giving the same amount of financial aid or they might, if they can feel they need to, in order to get the enrollment up, give more financial aid. Um, I've heard that some schools are in danger of closing because of low enrollment numbers. So I think it depends on the university how they're going to handle financial aid and how much money they can give to students. My recommendation for students with all of this unknown is to diversify their college lists a lot. So, you know, in a normal year, I'd say eight applications for most kids, about eight makes sense, have a couple of reaches a few match schools or what I call likely schools, ones where they'll probably get in, but we're not 100% sure. And then safety schools, where your, your grades and your scores and are well above the average of what those schools want. And so with the pandemic last year, I had students apply to more schools than just eight because we're not sure. They're not transparent about all of this information. I think the colleges aren't sure. So 
I think having more schools on the list makes sense with so much unknown. Yeah, I think Anna's already like mentally going, I'm going to double that. You say eight, I'll show you 16. No, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> yeah. But- I've, I've like, I'll watch like videos on YouTube about people like them doing their decisions back and how they react or their stats that they got into all these colleges. And I don't know, it just makes me a little bit nervous. But then some people are like, I applied to 21 schools. Here are my reactions. And I'm like, 21 schools? Oh my gosh. That's a lot of essays. That it, that's just so much work. Well, it depends on the school how much work it is, because if the schools are highly selective, so like the ones that have, I would say, maybe a 30% acceptance rate or below, they give those additional essays. But the schools that are a little bit easier to get into, there's not always a supplemental essay. So if you use the same essay and the same application, the common application, to apply to 20, the common application allows 20 schools. So you could do 20 schools if they're a little less selective without that many essays. I'd say most students don't need to apply to 20 schools. There are a couple majors, maybe like if you're looking at musical theater or acting, this type of thing where the, it's audition-based, you might only put a lot of schools on your list like that. But um, for most kids, I would say probably 10 to 12 is good. But how would you know how much to obsess over things if you don't have more colleges? Well, I don't know, if you have a certain amount of reaches, a certain amount of safeties, and then once, like, you know, you're matching schools, then I feel like it's okay. Yeah. But you need to narrow it down is going to be the hard part. Like, I already have, like, a list of schools on the research in my notes, and it's like, oh. She's got a special notebook dedicated mm-hmm. to her college lists. She's my favorite kind of student. See? And then she watches the reaction videos. She watches the reaction videos on YouTube of people getting into Harvard and stuff. Okay, she watches it like I watch the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a message from our sponsor. If you're like most clinicians and consultants, you probably find yourself saying the same things or focusing on the same message with your clients over and over again. That probably means you should write a book. While a book can be a powerful tool to expand your reach and establish yourself as a thought leader, the idea of writing one can be overwhelming. But that's where Eaton Press comes in. Eaton Press provides writing coaching, editing, and publishing services to help business professionals and generally smart people write, publish, and market their books as a tool to grow their business. Check them out at eatonpress.com to see the full range of programs, resources, and services they offer to make your book happen. So, COVID, as we've been talking about, it's going to be a real impact on the juniors now applying. And so last year, they weren't probably able to do like extracurricular activities, volunteering as much, sports especially. Um, so some kids have experienced the COVID slide, as they call it, regarding their grades. Um, so yeah, the COVID slide. Is that what you call it, Michelle? Yeah. Have you heard that term? No. Did I make that up? I don't think I did. Um, the COVID slide where you have a kid who is normally, let's say, an A or B student, and then you put them in virtual learning, and they're learning more independently, and they don't have, you know, as much teacher contact, and, like, they went from A, B student to now B, C student, or even lower. 
So I see that in some of my clients where their COVID year, this year where they're doing primarily virtual learning, like it really doesn't track with who they've always been as a student. The COVID slide is what I call it. And so I'm kind of curious, do you think colleges are going to take into account this weird year? Oh, yeah. I do think they will. And that's what they say they're going to do. Um, and, and I think they're going to, they have to. They're looking to fill uh, a freshman class that is going to work for them. They're trying to find students who are going to be successful when they get to campus. And they're getting all of these transcripts from kids who have varying degrees of COVID-related uh, successes, right? So some kids having a slide and some kids maybe not having a slide. And I have some people who do better uh, especially, uh, I noticed students with anxiety who don't need to go to school now. Some of them are, are performing really well academically. They feel really good about, um, distance learning. I know I relate to this because Anna has the opportunity to go back to school and she's like, no, this works for me. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't mind going back, but I just don't want to like interrupt my routine in the middle of a semester or the middle of the whole year. Do you feel it would distract you to go back? Yeah, and also I've been, like, I haven't been wearing a mask for eight hours in the classroom. I've been sitting there for hours and hours. So I think it would just be a huge like, disruption to, like, how eh. I can focus on things. Based on what I'm seeing with other kids, the masks are fine. We would probably buy you better masks. I mean, we hardly ever go anywhere. We have, like, old navy ones. It's not the point. Well, I understand that you have your routine. Yeah. So, like, and it's working. You have really good routine to like people who are in school and like different. Mm -hmm. So, I want to stick with mine. I'm doing pretty good. You're doing very good. But I do feel bad for kids who are juniors right now and they feel like they have a transcript that feels very bare to them. Mm -hmm. And Especially if kids had a health concern or a family, a close family member who lives with them or they saw frequently where their, their activities were even more restricted mm -hmm. because of that, where they were doing, you know, they weren't going to get an after school job or anything. And so those kids, I feel like, are showing signs of stress. Like my clientele are showing signs of stress when they feel like, gosh, I was plugging along so well. And having a competitive application, and now I have this whole dead year, and I try to give them reassurance that I feel like schools are, are going to account for that, but it would be good to hear from you specifically about that. I think um, schools will come for it. They're always looking at trends on the transcript, and they're going to see, I know your audience can't see this, but I'm showing my finger going across and then taking a dip and maybe, and then going back up as kids get back to school. I think that would be will be a trend they're going to see amongst their applicants, um, but not all applicants, so uh, some of them. And there's a space in the application, it's called the additional information section, it's optional, you can write whatever you want. So. Uh, adding context to your grades is a good idea because admissions counselors are trying to figure out who's going to be successful on campus. So if you explain what um, distance learning was like for you and where it was difficult, what you did in order to um, help in improve your scores, you know, not as, as opposed to, and then I gave up and <laughs> um, but the things that you might have done to try to um, help you do a little bit better and what was successful and what wasn't successful and give some explanation. Um, I do think that would be forgiven. That said, 
at the most competitive schools in the United States, because I'm sure you have some listeners who are thinking about the Ivy League, Stanford, MIT, Duke, these types of schools. Even though even those schools are going to be understand that students did have perhaps this COVID slide, you are still competing against applicants who did not have a COVID slide. And so because those schools are so difficult to get into, I mean, Stanford stopped uh, announcing their uh, acceptance rate when it got down to 4%. Wow. They're so difficult to get into. You have to understand that even though they might be understanding of that, what's the applicant pool look like? And if it looks better than you, it might be hard to get accepted if you have something else going for you, like certain talent, being legacy uh, at a certain school that could help you get accepted. So I think for schools that where the acceptance rates are higher, it's, it's going to be okay. Where it's lower, could be, it could cause a bit of a struggle. I also want to answer your questions in terms of extracurricular activities, because that's another thing a lot of students have been worried about. They're canceled for the most part. And so what I'm encouraging students to do is to think about extracurricular activities broadly. Colleges want to know how are you spending your time, and they want to infer from that how you're going to spend your time when you get to college. So if you're feeling a COVID slide and you're feeling down and depressed because you can't do your activities and you're stuck at home and you can't see your friends, you're doing anything else and using your time wisely or using your time to do things of interest, that's not going to help you get accepted. But if you are spending your time doing something that is interesting to you, you should put that on your application even if it's something that you didn't normally think you would put on your application. So, for example, maybe you started to do a certain craft because you're at home and you decided to take up knitting. That goes on your application. So, and you can put in the additional information section, these are the things that I did that I normally wouldn't have done, but during the pandemic. Um, so, colleges will want to know how you spent your time. And at those selective schools that I was referring to before, Although colleges are going to be forgiving that you couldn't play lacrosse or you couldn't participate in drama club, you're going to be competing against students who use their time to do things like Anna did, start a podcast. And that is going to help you get accepted over students who did not creatively use their time. So I've been encouraging my students to think of projects of interest and take them on. Um, you know, for some kids, that could be starting music lessons online. And for other kids, it could be um, reading a bunch of books on a certain topic and you know, doing something online, discussing them with somebody, or um, joining a book club. It could be anything. Extracurriculars aren't stuff like a club. They could just do things that you do independently. Yes. It's how you spend your time. That's what they want to know. So let's say spend your time helping your younger brother or sister with their math homework because you're great at math and your younger brother or sister struggles with it, you can put that on your application. You that. should talk about all of the exploration of recipes you do, and you should talk about your extensive multicolored lists. Is list making an extracurricular activity? Had to be formal. School after school, or I joined National Honor Society, or I volunteer at church. the church. Yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't know it was like, I learned how to skateboard. It's a mix of those things. <laughs> I learned how to skateboard. It's a mix of those things. Um, they want to know how are you spending your time. So, um, 
your application tells your story and this is your story is the pandemic is part of it. And um, I sat on my bed and texted my friends and played video games is maybe not the story you want to be telling. But hey, I went outside and I went to skateboard with my older brother, younger brother, sister, whatever. That's of interest. That's getting up and doing something. The whole like I watched a billion hours of TikTok probably mm-hmm. isn't going to. I watched the whole Twilight series three times <laughs> in one weekend with my mom. I watched twenty <laughs> seasons of The Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that probably should be less highlighted. But that is good to think about. Is and I that made me feel a lot because you are not like useless. I mean, you are no, doing I'm not, like, no. yeah, all the cooking you do. Yeah. You do help your brother. We're yeah. doing this whole podcast, which yeah. you spend multiple hours a week on. Mm-hmm. So, thanks, Michelle. That was really reassuring. Thanks. And I encourage my students out there, the kids I work with who are listening to this podcast, to be very mindful about if somebody's going to ask you, if somebody asks you what you're doing with your with your day, with your week, with your life during COVID, what could you answer? And if your only answer is, I look at Snapchat and TikTok and played Minecraft or Fortnite or Call of Duty, then it might be time to think bigger. Absolutely. One of the final things I want to ask you is, what are some of your recommendations for juniors who are going to be seniors in the fall who are about to begin their application process over the next few months? So aside from grades, what should these students be focusing their time and energy on to make sure that their application is as competitive as possible? The first thing is to think about the courses you're going to be taking in the fall. So right now is the time that many students are choosing their classes for the fall. And it's important that the listeners know this. Colleges care about two things more in general, most colleges, more than other things. So here's what they care about. Grades and academic rigor. So the courses that you take, how hard were they? How challenging were they? And how did you do them? So one thing that juniors could do for senior year is increase rigor in some way. And that means different things for different students. So for some students, it's taking an additional AP course that maybe they weren't going to take. For other students, it might be taking a third or fourth year of a foreign language or, or taking a math course that isn't required for graduation. So whatever that means for you, keeping academics challenging and not taking an easy senior year, that can help you get into college. So that's my first recommendation. My second one relates back to what we were just talking, which is find something to do for extracurricular activities that's useful, interesting to you. It could be a project of your own initiative or getting involved with some type of uh, club organization that's still that's happening during the pandemic could be helpful. And then my third recommendation is start doing your research now. Don't wait until fall of senior year. So a lot of there's there's this group of juniors that are worried about it right now, and others who think it's so far away. So for the ones that think it's really far away, they should be starting that research now because it will reduce their stress later. It's stressful to research colleges and visit colleges when you have to decide within two weeks whether to send your application or not. But when you are doing it early enough, then you can gather the information without feeling that pressure that I need to make a decision. I have kind of a random question that something you said inspired me to ask. So as Anna's going through her transcript and she's choosing classes, there's obviously the big ticket things she needs to take. 
but she's going to get done with her high school graduation requirements, you know, well in advance of graduation date. So is it a better choice for her to continue to take the rigorous classes, you know, that additional, you know, EP statistics, or is it okay if she takes classes that allow her to explore some additional topics? Like for, for example, she was looking at forensic science, or she was looking at accounting and things that were interesting, but weren't necessarily, they weren't AP level, they were just there that you know, she could explore a potential interest to help guide her course of study in college. Do you have an opinion on that? I do. Um, and my, that my opinion changes depending on what type of client I'm talking to and what their goals are for college. So students who are looking at the most selective colleges in the, in the U.S. should be focusing on taking rigorous classes in the five academic subjects. So if I have a student telling me that they're most interested in Duke or University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, I'm going to tell you then it's the AP statistics or AP calc, not the accounting. For students who are not looking for that route, depending on what their transcript looks like already, if it's good, stable, good, good grades, um, they might say, sure, good, go ahead and try accounting. See if that's of interest to you. If it is, then it might help you guide which college you're looking for because you might say, oh, I'm interested in studying business and you'll be looking at schools for business school. Or if you love forensic science, that's not offered everywhere. So now we know that and let's make that part of the criteria for choosing a college list. So it depends on the student, but certainly if you're aiming quote-unquote high in admissions and you want to get into a very selective university, you've got to take rigorous courses in five academic subjects. That's your competition. That's what they're doing. So, and then maybe do um, some type of side course online that's not for credit to find out more about forensics or accounting. Yeah, because I know she, Anna's in particular, she's kind of sweating what area she wants to study. And so there's some opportunities out there at her, at her high school to kind of get some information about different tracks. You know, they have kind of a business track and they have health sciences and things like that. And so she sort of has to choose between, you know, taking that additional AP class or exploring that option. But I think that she's one of those kids who she's going to do fine with, regardless, like, if she goes into college and doesn't have a clear path for what she wants to study, like, I just think she's going to figure it out, you know, so. Right. And and my advice would be based on what type of person is coming to me. Some people really want to know what they are going to study before they spend money and time and effort in college. And other people view as college as a place where they can go and explore and, and they don't need to know right away. And so my answer to which of those ones that it would be better might adjust depending on what type of person I am um, I'm talking to and what their goals are, what's important to them. And so with Anna, if she was a client, what I would do is look at her multicolored list of 30, 40 colleges, however many are on there. And I would, and then I would compare it to her transcript and kind of figure out well, which how many of these are reaches. Is she really hoping to go to a school that's there, that's selective and difficult to get into? And I likely advise her if she did have those schools on there to go for the um, more academically rigorous courses over the ones that are more exploratory. Although I have to tell you in my heart of hearts, I kind of want to go explore. I think that's <laughs> <more> fun, <laughs> but that's not what people hire me to give them advice to, to tell yeah. 
right? But you know, because I think there's value in, in those classes as well. But unfortunately, I know that uh, that's not the way to get into these competitive schools. So, yeah, no, I can understand. My brother just entered a master's program, and I'm honestly not 100% sure. It's like some sort of health administration. And he tells me about that in his classes, and I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. You're like in class and you're learning. You know, and like I have like a million graduate credits. Like the last thing I need to do is like take more college classes or grads classes. But I just it's such a cool thing to explore something new and 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 learn. And but at the same time, there's a time and place for that. And if she has the ability to get in some of these more competitive colleges that offer more opportunities, I want her to take it. So and colleges actually really care about intellectual curiosity, especially these selective schools I've been referencing. Uh, that's really important to them. But when they see a forensic science or accounting instead of a harder math course or a harder science course, that doesn't indicate intellectual curiosity to them, even if it really is to the student. Um, and if it really is to the student, and they can highlight that in the additional information section, if they're savvy and they know about this, um, they, they can do that. But um, they're looking for intellectual curiosity to come out in letters of recommendation. Uh, some schools will ask what books you're reading. So in, in other ways, maybe in your college essay. But that is a key part to the to applications for, of those types of schools. It's just... They can't show it by taking those fun, interesting classes. Hey, listeners. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about a private Facebook group that I just created. It's called Adolescence, a Parent's Guide, a support group for high school parents. Parents or caregivers of high schoolers or soon-to-be high schoolers are encouraged to join. We'll be sharing educational resources, supporting each other as we survive the roller coaster of parenting a high schooler, and offering a shoulder to cry on when it all gets too stressful. Search for us on Facebook to listen, learn, and join the discussion. How important is your class rank? Class rank is interesting because you're compare, when, when a college prioritizes that, they're comparing you to the other students in your class. And at some colleges, it is really important, and at others, it isn't. So you can find that information, uh, whether it's important to a college or not, in the common data set that almost every college publishes. I might have told you about this uh, for our last podcast, but in Section C. So you just uh, Google the name of the college, common data set, look for the most recent one, because they publish it every year. Scroll down to section C, and it will tell you for that college if they're factoring in class rank or not. For the most part, I'm not seeing that as the most important thing. I'm seeing grades and rigor as the most important because I'm looking at section C all the time on various colleges' common data set. So I'd say just my best advice is just do the best you can and um, don't be so competitive with other people at your school that you stress yourself out. So Anna's dad and I went to the same high school and we both graduated really high in our class and literally no one's ever asked about it again. Like it's just never been a thing. And I'm not just because it didn't, wasn't relevant for me doesn't mean it's not relevant for your generation, but because I mean, if you're in a class with, well, if you're in a relatively like non-competitive school district or school, 
you know, like there's some private schools here in Charlotte where, you know, they're really, really snooty schools. And graduating in your top 10 there is going to be different than graduating in your top 10 of, you know, a completely different high school that only has a whatever 60% rate of students going to going to college. So like, they'll tell you in certain data points for high schools, like what percentage of the school gets accepted into college or goes on to a four-year college. So like there's a couple of high schools that are really competitive near us where that, that, that percentage rate is nearly a hundred percent. And then there's other public schools or private schools. I don't want to just assume public schools where the graduation rate or the rate or the percentage of kids moving on to college is actually quite low. So if you're, you know, a higher class rank in those schools, it doesn't have the same meaning as mm-hmm. it would in a different school. Am I saying that right? You are. And the way colleges know about all of these schools is through something called the school profile. So every high school creates a school profile and updates it every year. And it tells things like um, the number of students, the percentage of students that go to college and how the grading works, how weighting works if you're taking an honors or AP or IB course, uh, tells a little bit about the socioeconomics of the district. And so that school profile is sent with your college application to every college you apply to. So the admissions counselors will have some context around your transcript. So if it says that you got you're ranked here. Well, what does that actually mean at this school? They have the school profile to help them figure that out. So um, it can make a difference, but think about Harvard. Almost everybody applies to Harvard is either one, two, three in the class. It's 100% true. But a lot of those students who got accepted did rank super high. So now they've got all these applications from valedictorians and salutatorians, and they have to use other information to figure out who they're going to accept and who they're not. So there's a lot of valedictorians and salutatorians getting rejected from Harvard. So it's important, but it's maybe not the most important thing. Plus, we know that sometimes the kids who are going to be the most successful are not the ones at the top of the class. And when uh, schools are looking at these applicants, they're looking at what kind of student are you going to make when you get to college and what kind of alum are you going to make? So are you going to be a mover and shaker out there and, and be doing a lot of research and just being really at the top of your field? And some of the students who didn't have those highest scores and ranked super, super high in their classes are going to be at the top of their field. And that's what admissions has to do is figure out who are those applicants from that data in the application. And your job as the applicant is to tell your honest and true stories so that they can really understand what you're about and Maybe that's a good fit for them, and maybe it isn't. Um, but hopefully it is if it's a school you want to go to. It's always interesting when you go on the college tours and they tell you which famous people graduated from there. Like I went on one at Harvard, and I'm like, I didn't know Conan O'Brien went to Harvard. And if you listen to him like on his podcast or on a show, like he really doesn't talk about being a Harvard graduate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he'll say, he might say something in passing, like when I was in college, but it's Every once in a while, his guests will be like, oh, you're from Harvard. Like, come mm-hmm. on, admit it. And he's, he's just, but when you walk around um, and see the campus and they show you like which dorm he lived in and stuff like that. And it's like, it's just so interesting. I, I find that so interesting when I hear who graduated and what are they doing? I think that's not Conan O'Brien's brand. 
No, probably not. And that's why he's not highlighting it in that moment. Um, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. yeah, I'll watch videos and they'll be like asking people questions and they'll be like, oh, so have you seen any like famous people like recently? And they'll like say a few famous people and I'm like, I've never seen a famous person on any college campus I've been on. Wow. Oh. I mean, and I was watching one, I think it was Boston University, and like Mark Wahlberg or something. Yeah. He was like filming a movie, like right next to their campus. And oh. So like everybody got to see him. <laughs> but then other people like actually walk on campus and like. Well, they have kids and stuff who go to college. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my students, uh, who I have some international students, uh, came over from Switzerland and did a tour of Georgetown, which is in D.C., and she was on tour with Patrick Dempsey and his daughter. I'm like, Ooh. I have been to probably 230 or 40 schools on tour. I have not seen McDreamy, you know? No. <laughs> no, Grace Anatomy's, you know, actors don't show up where I am either. I keep waiting for someone famous to hire me as their parent coach. Like, it's going to happen. And then I'm not going to be able to tell anybody because it's confidential. But I'm going to know. Oh, and when that happens, you have to refer them to me to help their child through the college process. I will. Process. Well, and vice versa. Like, it could be you have to refer them to me, too. And be like, I know somebody who can help your child stay emotionally healthy and motivated. And then you can send them to me. We might need to raise our prices to entice those types of people to come to us. I think you're right. I think you have to be extraordinarily expensive. Yeah, that might be off-brand for both of us. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I know, but I, I could be flown in. Like, they could fly me in, or we could do it over Zoom. Like, I'm open. Anyway, okay, so before we finish today, I need you to tell everybody, Michelle, about your services. Like, if somebody is going to call you up and get support for their kids, like, what are they calling you about? So my business is called The College Spy. If you want information, it's thecollegespy.com. So I'm spying on colleges and telling you all about them. And as parents and uh, students, I work with them on the college admissions process. And that could start as early as ninth grade and building, helping them the student build an academic and extracurricular profile that helps them meet their college goals. But most people will call sometime during 11th grade or just before 11th grade when it's time to start really worrying about college. And I help them with the entire admissions process and choosing a college list, um, answering all of their questions, things that we spoke about today, and uh, doing the essay, filling out the application, telling their story, lots of encouragement and support along the way, taking the stress out of the process and making it fun. I think that I'm so enthusiastic about colleges and students that it becomes a bit contagious for almost every one of them. Well, I have a lot of free resources online on my website. I run a Facebook group. It's called the College Admissions Parent Information Group. And so uh, put a lot of tips in there, answer a lot of questions, and there are parents that are very knowledgeable helping one another out in that group. My Twitter is filled with tips and missions tips and things. And if you go on my website, there'll be a pop-up to uh, sign up for my newsletter. And I send something out about every three weeks with information and, and tips and articles. And I just got your newsletter the other day, and I forwarded it to Anna. Did you read it? I looked at it. Like, I just scrolled through it. Yeah. 
So I think I think your resources are fantastic. Your Facebook group is super helpful. You have articles you post, you offer suggestions, you know, you just kind of keep the information flowing. And then the parents who are part of that group will ask a question and you respond really quickly. And then you also give opportunity for parents to celebrate the successes. So a lot of kids in the last, you know, few weeks and a couple months have been getting acceptance letters. And so people have been sharing that. Um, and I, I've just for me, even though I don't have a kid who's quite at that stage yet, it's just really exciting to see that these students have had their hard work pay off. So I don't know. I think that that's my favorite. I always read the stuff from your Facebook page. There's a bunch of Facebook groups out there for it, it related to admissions. I'm trying to figure out how to make mine the best and then how I'm going to assess whether it is the best. Um, so I'm trying to encourage engagement among amongst the group members and make it a little bit fun, but also I really want people to have the information that they need to make this process less stressful and more um, I don't say exciting, but I really believe that this is a great time for students. It's one of the first times in their lives that they get to make choices about their future, their education. They get to choose within limits, usually set by their parents, because sometimes the students are setting the limits themselves, but they get to choose where they want to live, big school, small school, what they want to study. It's just, it's a very exciting job and it's very rewarding to be able to be on that journey with, with parents and students. So um, I enjoy working with the clients and also just sharing all of this information um, on various social media platforms. Twitter is great because you can put eight tips out a day. It's, it's appropriate to tweet eight times where on Facebook, it's spammy to do that. Yeah. People don't like it. So that's what, that's the difference between my Twitter and my Facebook. Twitter is just chatting away with whoever wants to read it about various little nuggets that will make a parent or student who is reading it think, oh, I didn't think to ask that question. And now they have something that they know about that maybe they didn't. So, so much misinformation going around. Um, I heard this, I heard that, and I'm thinking, oh, that's not true. That's not true. Um, so trying to clear some of that up. You should create a blog post that are like, you know, the top five myths that people are saying. Because I know just when I talk to other parents who they very much assume that the college application process is like it was when they applied, you know, 25 years ago. And I keep having to tell my clients just from the knowledge I gained from you and your resources and stuff like, okay, we need to think about this differently. It's like a whole different ball game these days and we can't give kids false information and or make assumptions like part of being a parent right now is getting informed on this process and there's definitely easier ways and harder ways to get informed you know we don't want people to get informed by learning the hard way where their kid doesn't take advantage of an opportunity or know about an opportunity um so i just it's one of those things as parents we have to start gathering information. I know when I applied to college, my parents didn't have a college degree. They didn't know anything. And I kind of applied to one school um, early decision. And I mean, I was happy. I'm not complaining or anything. But at the same time, like I look back and I think like, I had no idea. I was an excellent student. Like there could have been other things available to me. And I just didn't know because my parents didn't know. So I think now with obviously the internet um, resources like your Facebook group, your Twitter page, like there's there's so much 
that's more accessible. Yeah. One of the things that's really hard when you're gathering the information is that a lot of times what's put out there isn't personalized for your student or well it's definitely not personalized but it doesn't fit your kid right so that could be the benefit of of hiring an educational consultant like myself or just connecting strongly with your school counselor because what the advice i might give to anna based on her academic and extracurricular profile is very different from me somebody else who has different goals different priorities and a different transcript um there are students that I would say, you don't need to take the SAT. Not, most of them I would say you do, but there are really not. And so that parent is going to be reading all this information about how it's important to do and that's not the right information for their kid. Um, and yeah. that, that, that makes it hard. Is sort of just how do you figure out if what's being given out for the masses really fits your individual child? That's true. Absolutely. I think if people have questions and, you know, as a, as a parent of a kid who's highly interested in this process, then I want her to feel involved and I want her to feel in control and knowledgeable. So, you know, having somebody like you support her could really make a, a big difference, both in her anxiety level and just her understanding her choices. So, well, thank you, Michelle, for being part of our episode today. The information you've given us has been so helpful. And I know, Anna, you're pleased, right? Yes, I got a lot of it. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for being part of our episode. And of course, I'll have the information available for listeners to access in the show notes so that they can get a direct link to your website. And once again, I can't encourage parents enough to join the College Admissions Parent Information Group on Facebook, which is hosted by Michelle McEnany. And she is fantastic about responding to questions and keeping resources flowing for parents during this process. Thank you so much. Make sure to leave us a review and to tune in every Wednesdays for new episodes. Thanks for listening. Love you, Mom. Love you too, sweetie. Hey, listeners. Please join our free parenting webinar series. It's offered each Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please visit www.drtaraegan.com to register via Zoom. Each webinar will offer a 15 to 20 minute presentation hosted by me, followed by a 30 minute question and answer session. If you can't join us live, you'll be sent the recording directly to your email so you can watch it later at your convenience. Join our Facebook page at Dr. Tara Egan to get details about topics we'll be discussing in upcoming webinars. This is my chance to meet you, so please register today.